0: What's up everybody, it is Monday, let's see, I almost said January, wow, the year is going by so fast, February six, two 2017, this is the Monday Morning Analyst here on MMAFighting.com, hope you're doing well, my name is Luke Thomas, and I'm the host of this podcast. Uh, three parts to it as always, overview of the weekend's action, look at something in detail, and then take a look at what's coming up in the week ahead. Uh, not a whole lot to get to this time, I'm going to keep it a little bit shorter, I hope. Um, just one event, UFC Fight Night 104, so let's get going. Um... So, the event took place. This was for part of the Super Bowl week. I don't really understand why they didn't do a pay-per-view. Historically, they have. Um, certainly, it was great to see the Korean Zombie. I don't mean that. I would have loved to have seen him on a pay-per-view card in this matchup. It, it, everyone was happy about his return. I just mean, I would have liked to have seen it on a bigger stage, you know? I would have liked to have seen him get a pay-per-view. Um, I guess they wanted to save it for the Brooklyn card, but I'd rather the Brooklyn card be in Houston for Super Bowl week and really be able to take advantage of the media opportunities there, but... They didn't do that for reasons that remain unclear to me. So I guess we'll see what the ratings look like. It was a short uh, main event which can affect them, but um, we'll see how they go. Now, this took place at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. Attendance, not great. Uh, 8,119 for a total gate of 611,000. So fairly tepid response, but that's to be understandable. While everyone loves the Korean zombie... Uh, he's been gone for a while I think there's been a new generation of fans who may not know who he is Although they're going to find out pretty quickly, it looks like um, And, uh, like I said, it didn't have a lot of star power on it Even if it had some valuable matches So, let's get to that now Chan Sung Jung defeats Dennis Bermudez at 249 of the first round via KO Punch Man, <laughs> here come the ring rust truthers But here's, here's always the rule about ring rust It doesn't affect every fighter in every conceivable circumstance but it is well documented. I had Chael Sonner on my show. He talked about it. Even if you don't want to believe Chael. Rashad Evans has talked about it. It's, it's a real enough phenomenon in combat sports that you can clearly tell some guys are affected by it. And some guys aren't. Or maybe Chan Sung Jung would have been affected by it if there had been more time. But I think one of the things that makes Chan Sung Jung um, relatively immune to ring rust is just the, the... He is at ease with his offense. Dominic Cruz had less issues with that because he's also at ease with his offense and also because he has this incredible mental uh, fortuity, but, or I should say mental fortitude. But Chan Sung Jung is also mentally tough. I mean, probably as tough as they come, but I don't think that's exactly the reason why he had, or at least from what we could tell, less ring rust. It just seems to me, if you go back and you watch his old fights, he's just never afraid to let his offense go. Uh, it, he doesn't even seem to think twice about it. That doesn't mean he's not calculating. It's just he doesn't worry too much not so much about the consequences he just knows i'm gonna let my thing my 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 hands go i'm gonna let my feet go i'm gonna try stuff and he never really seems all that deterred and i think that's partly why fans love him and it's partly why he's very effective as a fighter even sometimes if he gets tagged and he did get tagged in this fight i thought early on bermudas was doing all the right things going high going low Chan Sung jung showing a lot of great takedown defense. I also, by the way, think the time off probably was really great for some of the injuries he had been nursing, so there might have been a benefit to it in that sense. Probably a net loss for him, but I don't think everything about it was necessarily terrible. But be that as it may, I thought Bermudez was doing a lot of the right things. I thought Bermudez was really trying to pressure him, was trying to stay on the move, was trying to be active, and he was uncorking on him. There was times where Chan Sung Jung... You know, sometimes he's really economical with his motion, and sometimes, especially in close distance, he reaches out a little bit. And in that space, he was getting torched uh, by Dennis Bermudez. He did really well early on, but it was amazing, man. What does he do, Brian? I was gonna, you know, do a thing on it, and then I saw Brian Stan, because I, I DVR the broadcast and watched it after the fact. You know, he really broke it down in a way that I don't really need to say a whole lot about. You know, here's Bermudez. Bermudez typically fades into his power hand. This time he was fading away from it, into the power hand of Jung. He throws a jab one time. Jung kind of doesn't really react to it. And next time he throws a jab, and he just crushes him with the uppercut. I went back and watched the Dennis Poirier fight. Remember the great one that happened locally at Fairfax at the uh, on the campus of George Mason University. I guess I had forgotten what a great... Weapon the uppercut is for Chan Sung Jung. Man, uh, he throws it with ease and he catches a lot of guys with it very often. I really recommend you go back and you watch that fight. You'll see it's a big part of his repertoire, it's a big part of his offense. Now, he didn't catch uh, Poirier all that much with it because Poirier would duck under a lot. He would get real low in the takedowns, he'd slip off the center line a lot. But Bermudez, in that particular case, didn't really do that. Bermudez wasn't merely going lower on the jab. It looked like he was jabbing and then uh, diving for a shot. And Zombie just met him clean on it. Uh, Timed it perfectly. Threw it right up the middle. And uh, so it not only landed flush, but I think Bermudez was moving into it. Which, of course, makes it all that much worse. Really, really great job by Chan Sung Jung. Um, You know, didn't seem to lose his composure after getting tagged. Of course, that was the case, as always. But... It was good to see that that was still a part of his game. He's got big power, and that must have been totally redemptive. And now, you know, he's got one win under his belt. So if he has a tough fight in his next outing, in terms of, at least on paper, he's at least got this experience under his belt. So this was great for him. This was really great for him. You know, it sucks for Dennis Bermudez. I think this is the only the second time he's been finished with strikes. Uh, first one being Jeremy Stevens. So um, I'm not exactly sure what it means. I wonder if he's taken a little bit too much damage in his career. Um, certainly it's something I'm concerned about, but I think the big takeaway here is, you know, Chan Sung Jung back with a vengeance, certainly some things he probably needs to work on. He was getting torched a little bit early, as you mentioned before, leaving a little bit too much open space between hand and face. Um, but nevertheless, uh, (laughs) yeah. He fired back, and he fired back with a vengeance. What a great win for that guy. Everyone seemed to be really thrilled for him, and uh, you can count me in among those people as well. Uh, Felice Herrig defeating Alexa Grasso. Unanimous decision, two and one 27 I had it 29-28. I was going to give the last round to Grasso, but what a great win for Felice Herrig. You know, she To me, the big takeaway was Grasso wasn't doing a lot of movement. She wasn't throwing a lot of volume in this one, except until the end of the third. But really what the whole key was, was that um, Herrig was keying in off of Grasso's jab, um, when she would throw it, Herrick had it timed, and she had a number of responses to it. She would go duck it, she, not duck, because duck means go forward, but she would sort of get underneath it, throw a shot to the body, sometimes throw two shots to the body, and then come underneath and maybe even finish with a kick. She just had an answer for everything, and if there was a kick from that same side, all right, um, she would have a reaction to it. If, in fact... Uh, Grasso wanted to go low, then you saw immediately Herrig knew to go high, throwing a one over the top. But really what it was, was she was able to get underneath or on top of the jab whenever she needed to and just made Grasso pay over and over again. You know, when she was launching offense from neutral positions, Grasso was more or less uh, pretty good at defense. But when it changed where she was trying to launch, everything starts behind her jab, which is mostly a good thing. But... If you're not really stinging people with it and getting them to change and react with it, uh, and Herrick in this particular case able to get out of the way of it, either slipping off the center line or getting underneath it, then she's able to do a lot with it. So I thought it was a really strong performance net for Felice Herrick. You know, I don't think it says too many bad things about Grasso. She's still early. It just seems to me there might be a case to vary some of her entries um, in the striking. And she thought she won that fight, which I can understand why she won the third. But overall... Um, I'm not sure what her co- coaches were telling her, but I don't think it's the end of the world necessarily. She's still quite a, a bit of a prospect, but some things to work on. James Vick defeating Abel Trujillo via Darce Choke at 49 seconds of the third round. A couple of things. We're going to look at that Darce and why it worked in the second segment. But the key for me in this one, the size difference, first of all, was really kind of incredible. And I also have to say, by the way, shout outs to Juan's Flying Burrito in New Orleans. Um, Vic looked huge next to Trujillo. That was the first thing. Second thing is, as I understand it, Trujillo is not part of the, the remodeled Black Zillions team that's over at Combat Club. I don't think he followed them there. So I wonder what effect that might have had on his training. Um, and on top of that, Vic doing a much better job defensively with his strikes before he would throw a jab and put his chin up and drop his hand. His hand is still dropping a little bit, but his chin is staying nice in position. You can see it. He's clearly been working on that and you can clearly see it's it's gotten a lot better. Plus that double knee he threw, splitting the guard of uh, Abel Trujillo. Like, that's been a big weapon for him and it was certainly one in this fight. And uh, it was great to see Vic. Um, he just looked like the more skilled fighter and the more prepared one for the moment anyway. And we'll take a look at why his Darce choke didn't work in the second round, but did work in the third. Uh, Volkan Oz- Ozdemir defeated Ovin St. Preux. Split decision, 29-28, 28-29, 29-28. Terrible fight. Uh, Marcel Fortuna defeating Anthony Hamilton at 310 of the first round via KO punch. Man, Fortuna looked much smaller, as we all noted. You know was really interesting to me? The hand speed appeared to give Anthony Hamilton problems. Um, you know, obviously weight is typically an advantage, but in this particular case, I don't know how much of an advantage it was, because you saw... It's, a lot of just reaching by anthony hamilton i think he's so big and strong he's used to just kind of like walking through someone's last line of defense like an ogre to put his hands on them and when he does he probably gets what he wants most of the time in that training room or at least enough to give him confidence to keep doing that but fortuna's hand speed uh rocked him earlier in the round and then the other part that was kind of interesting to me was if you go back and you watch on that that one two that closed the show hamilton had his hands up like he read the the jab he puts his hands up and then once the second one comes down his hands were still kind of there, they were about like right here, I mean they were covering the jaw area. But what happened is Fortuna threw a punch with a high elbow, it wasn't a straight one too. where the, you know, usually in boxing, I've talked about this before, you'll have your elbows stuck to your ribs a little bit to protect them so you can have, you know, you have short movement for defense and the punches are chambered and they come right down the line. This one was chambered, or sorry, I, should say, I shouldn't even, wouldn't even say that, it wasn't chambered. He sort of came down on it like this and so that gave him the angle to go high up on Hamilton and come down on his forehead—that was really nice. That was really nice. I thought that was kind of a an interesting adaptation he made uh, to make that work in that fight. Jessica Andrade defeating Angela Hill—great fight, thirty twenty-seven across the board. Angela Hill so dramatically improved. If you've been watching her in Invicta, you know that to be the case here. I thought, look, man, she fought pretty great. First of all, she fought gutsy as hell, and she was working the jab, and she was working. Um, the teeps, and she was trying to chew up the front leg of Andrade. You know, it's just if you can this fight reminded me of Rob Font versus John Lineker, where Rob Font is one of these guys who's a very good fighter and a very good striker and a hard hitter in his own right. But if you can't really back up Lineker with your shots, if you can't get him to hesitate, it's just hard to do anything else. And like uh, Andrage and Lineker's the same way, uh, the takedown defense is going to come hard because they're super strong. You saw Andrade lift her in the air and dump her on the mat, especially in that second round. You know, it's just hard. If you can't really get her to slow down, to stay in space, to respect what you can do to her physically, she'll just walk right through it. So she was doing something. like So, so you know, here's Angela Hill sticking and moving, sticking and moving, throwing a jab. And as she's recoiling it, Andrade has this explosive power and speed to collapse the distance, back her up, get her against the fence, and just simply unload on her. Um, maybe she got dropped in what, that second round? Hard to tell if it was, maybe it was a third. Hard to tell if it was a drop or a slip. Certainly, Angela Hill made contact with her. Angela Hill made contact with her a lot, you know. It's just Andrade is a tank at that weight class. So to me, I thought there was something to take away for both ladies in that one. Yes, Hill, you know, lost the fight. Andrade won it clean. Okay. And for all the reasons we mentioned. She's strong. She's physical. She's in your face. She is quick. She's athletic. Uh, she packs her own punch. She's willing to eat one just to back you up. It's just hard. It's hard to affect change with her, um, but Angela Hill. I thought you know footwork was much better, much better overall offense. Um, she showed a hell of a chin. She wears damage really well. That was that was a great performance. I think from both ladies. And Andrade appears to be your next contender. Maybe Michelle Waterson is at uh, at women's strawweight. Then you move to the preliminary card. Curtis Blades defeating Adam Milstead at 59 seconds of the second round via a knee injury. The only takeaway there was Blades appeared to be much stronger than him, was ragdolling him, throwing him around, Um, but then his, you know, Milstead's knee dislocated, you know, there's a real question there about if his corner knew it was going to be that bad, letting him out like that for that second round. Here we are, another week in mixed martial arts where I don't think his corner are bad people, I don't think his corner are incompetent people, I think there is a culture that is so pervasive in mixed martial arts that even good corners, all the way up to the Greg Jackson team, they are reluctant or hesitant to uh, interfere on behalf of their fighter. For their long term interests. For reasons that because MMA is so chaotic. They just kind of want to roll the dice all the time. And uh, I understand it. I understand the temptation. I understand the potential consequences that could come. With affecting a guy like that. But this guy could have been spared. I think we all agree this guy could have been spared. What happened to him in that second round. Where he can barely stand on his right leg. You know we, we have to change the culture in mixed martial arts. And, and I don't know how we do that. But it needs some updating. Skelly defeats Chris. Garutzamacher, submission rear naked choke, 201 of the second round. Classic Chad Skelly performance, just a superior grappler, not merely on the back but with the takedowns. He's got a great tripod where he can drive his weight into you a la um, Demi and Maya, good passer, just on you all the time. He's able to hook legs as you try to get to your base, it just just threatens you at every interval of the building process from ground to feet. Uh, Ricardo Ramos defeating Michinori Tanaka, 29-28, 30-27, 29-28. Tisha Torres defeating Beck Rawlings, 30-27 across the board. She was just a superior fighter on that on that night. Quicker, um, more agile, uh, better in the grappling department, better in the wrestling department, able to take the back, threatened with chokes on top of her when she needed to be, pressing her against the cage when she needed to be, out of the way when she needed to be. Rawlings just didn't have a, a, an answer for the things that Torres could do. But here's the question. You know, if Torres can't really put opponents away, if she's going to have a hard time against someone who's got a really lethal skill set. Um, and the longer you keep someone in a fight, the better chance of upset that can happen. Uh, Nico Price defeating Alex Morono. At f- the end of the round, he knocks out Alex Morono, Morono, however you pronounce it properly. And he was losing that fight. He looked to be c- more athletic and f- more physically strong. Uh, stronger But Morno was moving around Jabbing Getting out of the way uh, Slipping punches Counteracting anything Price was doing Price kind of putting One shot together At a time You know Morno was doing a, Putting combinations Together better But he got pressed up Against the fence At the very end Ducked a punch And this one he did duck And ate a uppercut To the dome And that sent him Collapsing to the mat And that was all she wrote So um, Good job by Nico Price In taking away Some of the movement Of Alex Morneau I won't say a fluky win, but certainly I think most people would agree. For the first round and most of the second round, that was more in his fight. But doesn't matter. in MMA man, you use Zig when you're supposed to Zag, and the other guy gets his hand raised. And then Khalil Rountree defeating Daniel Jolly, man, this was brutal. 50 seconds in the first round, just fired up, one up the gut on a on a um, on a um, takedown attempt and dropped him. Everyone's like, well, what about the knee? The second knee was to the body, I believe, so it was legal. So great job by Khalil Rountree. He needed that. Uh, Badly that was a good win for him and it shows that what kind of prowess he has as a striker He just needs to put it all together in a way like he did here And you know being at the bottom of the card like this against Daniel Jolly I think is the right kind of move for Khalil. I think he's got a big and bright future But he needs he needs some time. He needs some time to get better Uh, The fight of the night went to Andrade versus Hill and the performance bonuses went to the Korean Zombie And then Marcel Fortuna, which I completely agree with my fighter of the card I'm probably gonna give to, yeah, Korean Zombie, gone for three and a half years, I mean, you gotta give it to that guy, so... Welcome back, Mr. Zombie. Okay, with that out of the way, let's take a look at what's, uh, no, sorry, we have to take a look at why, excuse me, the Darce Choke, it didn't work for James Vick in the first round, but it did in the, uh, sorry, the second round, but it did in the third round. Let's do that, now. Okay, so we talked about other aspects of this fight, I just kinda wanna show this, because you see this choke a lot in the UFC, you see it in MMA, And you see it with guys with long arms and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't Sometimes you don't have to do the things I'm about to show you And you can still get it depending on your squeeze, depending on the leverage Right, it's a feel position Uh, But there are some general rules of thumb that are helpful And the one that you'll see that's really helpful we'll explore here But I just kind of want to show you In the second round he attempts this bravo choke, this nogi bravo choke, this dars choke uh, And it doesn't get it Now it's tight enough to force able Trujillo to address it. It's tight enough to force him to make adjustments, but it never quite gets the tap. And I kind of want to show you sort of why here. Here you've got Trujillo's hips face down. Hard to see what his left hand is doing. Don't really know what his right arm is doing, but he's kind of, here, James Vick, he's kind of off to the side, right? He's not using any hip pressure downwards. He's not using any chest pressure downwards. Brian Stanton kind of alerted to that, but there's another detail we're going to get to it's not to say this isn't tight or you couldn't get it, but a lot of times if you're going to get it from where if someone is, let's say their hips are facing the mat and yours aren't, you got to be almost like, the way they taught it to me was almost like you're a zombie reaching out of the grave. In other words, your back is almost flat to the mat, um, and it's almost like a head and arm triangle, just you're sort of uncorked and twisted around. And you can see here he's kind of off to the side. It's just, it's just not quite tight enough. And there's not quite enough mechanical advantages here to force a tap. So what happens? So he tries to rotate into him. This is potentially better, right? You want to get your hips as close as possible, depending. And he's going to want to rotate away. So that's something that that might get it And he keeps going. This is a better look at it. Now, this is interesting to me. You can see this is nicely wrapped up here. He's got the arm coming across couple of things that are missing, and you don't have to have every single one of them, but it's nice to have as much pressure on the head as possible. Here, there's none, right? There's a little bit of it coming from his, if you could circle his hips in, but you can see it's not it's not gravity pushing down. It might be leaning it to the side, and that matters, but, you know, you're trying to force a tap in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. You're going to have to get a few of the things uh, just right, you know, especially against the guy who knows what he's doing here. So there's separation between their hips. You would want to be in tight here, right, to really crank everything over. And the other part is here, the elbow. The elbow is up. right? I mean, you might say, well, it's down and touching the mat. That's right, but there's not weight being pressed in here into here. That's going to be a big difference in the third round. Getting this elbow is critical for both players. Whoever really controls this is probably going to be the one that gets the tap. No guarantees, but pretty, pretty close. What he wants to do with this one is not have it pressed across. Imagine you're getting triangle choked, for example. One thing with the teachers is get the arm across that goes through. There's a reason for that, right? You need that sort of mechanical moment to get the choke on that side. As long as there's space between him, his bicep, and his neck, that won't necessarily happen and he can pressure off of this elbow to get it. So to me that's a bit problematic. And the other one is that, you know, he what he really would like is an underhook. Because if he can get the underhook, uh, he's almost home free again not all the time but pretty close so there's just a few ingredients here missing it's tight but it's not it's not quite there and you can see him adjusting you can see trujillo now that forearm is almost across the face and he's using his left hand to push the hips away as he scoots his own hips away so it's tight but it's 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 hard to make progress from this position you know. So here he is again, pushing on the hips. Now here the hips are a little bit closer, so that's better. But he's going to put a leg up to prevent this from getting any closer, right? If you were on the ground, it would be a little bit different. Uh, I'm sorry, if it, 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 nah, they're on the ground. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, if he, if his hips were facing the mat, um, this would be a little bit different. But it, it, it essentially occupies the same, it essentially serves the same role. This is going to prevent his hips from getting too, too close. And really squeezing his head off there. By the way, look closely right there. See this? This is not. A, this is a reflection from my television. This is not. This is daylight behind the choke. You can see it's not really forcing everything compact and turned. It's a little bit loose up top here. Why? Well, because it's hard to get the choke exactly as you want it. Abel is not just laying there expecting you to get the choke on him. And two, I think Vic's got really long arms. And long arms are great because you can lock up chokes like this. But then it sometimes can be a little bit hard to get that final finishing. You don't want short stubby arms. And you don't want super lanky arms. You want something kind of in the middle of that for this choke to really be great. Uh, and you can do some nasty things with it. So they keep going. Now this time, the rolls have been reversed. And Trujillo gets up on top. Uh, you could get this if it was a choke, but you can see it's just, it's going to be hard to, from this position when his hips are down, it's, how are you going to be able to get enough pressure in this kind of moment to get the tap unless someone has no idea what they're doing? He can spread his elbow back if he needs to. It's just hard to squeeze everything tight and you can see he's trying, but, and I'm sure it is tight. I'm sure there's moments where it's like, oh, it's just hard to maintain that into some kind of, uh, moment towards a goal. There's if there's just not enough there there if that makes any sense you have to have certain kind of body positions and certain weight distributions to make this work if you're laying on your side like this again I'm not saying it will never work it's just going to be a lot harder and if he can control his own right elbow in this circumstance it's going to be a lot easier to defend and so eventually you see what he does here he sags his hips backwards and look at how much space this opens you can see I believe if you look closely right here that's the ear that's the ear of Abel Trujillo, so that shoulder is kind of pressing into it, but not really. And so you can see when he's laying on his side like this, how do you really get that squeeze that you need to compress everything and to turn it? It's just hard. And so if he's sagging his hips back, that's going to create an opening here on the shoulder and the head, which is probably why he's doing it. Plus, it might be stop, stop to some extent um, Vic from coming on the inside to the extent that that's what he wants to do anyway. So he, he sags his hips, opens up a space here, and you can see that ear right there. It, it, there's, just, there's just not enough on that choke. So I think, and then he finally comes up on top, right? He, can, he does he does manage to control him with this. So while he doesn't get the tap necessarily, it's a good sort of like, think of it as a semi-choke front headlock. And in that sense, it can be kind of valuable. So now let's jump to, uh, let's see, the third round, and he lets it go there. Now this is where everything changes. Brian Stan had correctly noted number one, he's sort of on his knees here, but he's going to drive his hips closer to the mat. That's going to be one thing, and you might even—he'll probably have live toes still. But to me, that's not what I'm looking at. I mean, yes, that's a big deal. Don't get me wrong; that is absolutely critical condition to make this t- tap work. But there's one more detail, and this is a—this uh, uh, is something I was showed, I think, in 2015. sort of woke me up about how to get this choke uh, a lot more often and it's harder to do but if you can establish all these conditions you get to tap almost every time this is what I'm looking at this is the right hand of Abel Trujillo which of course is going to be connected to his right elbow one of the big things that was a revelation uh, with this choke a lot of people are able to lock it up you can see how often Vic is able to lock this up in this fight And not quite get the tap until the third round Now, Partly it's because Trujillo is tired He was almost laying here But it's more than that It's a mechanical difference And the difference is You have to get that elbow The one that he wants as an underhook um, you got to get that underneath your chest So when they talk about chest pressure They don't just mean as a way to squeeze the choke tighter What they mean is You want to drive your chest down on the back of their tricep slash elbow that's what that means. And what you notice here is when his hand is here, his elbow is now tucked underneath the body. Get a better look at it here. Look at it here. He doesn't have the ab- here he's hips are down, live toes. This is all correct, driving it nice and tight, but the right elbow is tucked underneath the body of Vic. And so when Vic squeezes and you can look and see him straining here with his lats, pulling in everything nice and tight, driving his hips down. That's all awesome, but I think the thing that seals it for me was if you look before, that other elbow wasn't exactly being controlled enough to get it driven across him. Now the elbow's underneath the chest, and so when Vic comes down on it, that drives it even closer. Just take the back of your tricep and hold it. Don't pull on it. Then take a moment to pull on it, behind it, And you can feel your whole neck. See, you can hear the change in my voice. You can feel the whole thing change. That's what that is. Here's another look at it. Look when they let go. Look where that elbow is. It's on the inside of his body. That's what the difference is. To me. That's what seals it. You see, so often, guys will have the elbow on the outside of their body, and the guy on top will be trying and struggling and adjusting, and he's doing like nine to ten things correctly, you know? But uh, this, to me, is the difference. Getting that elbow underneath that chest and driving the weight down on it, and that's why it worked in the third round and didn't work in the second round. Look at his hand. This is the hand here. This is going to be the tapping hand. This is going to be the left hand. This one's just kind of on the ground. This is the right arm, and there's daylight here. You could even see there's daylight here, but it doesn't matter in this particular case because while there was daylight before, the elbow was free. Now the elbow is covered, weight on top, hips driving down. Look at that. This whole side is sinking into it to to protect and cover. He's got no choice but to tap. That is a great adjustment by James Vick, and I think something you'll see a lot more fighters begin to do. And last, but certainly not least, let's take a look at what's going to happen this coming week. I'm actually going to Brooklyn, uh, New York City, tomorrow. I'm, after my show is over, I'm going to head take the train and I'm headed up to NYC. So, UFC 208, the first pay-per-view of 2017 for the UFC. Can you believe it? It took this long. Um, in the main event, Holly Holm and Jermaine Durandami compete for the inaugural UFC women's featherweight title. In the co-main event, Anderson Silva faces off against Derek Brunson. Jacques Array versus Tim Boach. Glover Teixeira versus Jared Cannonier. I cannot wait for that fight. Dustin Poirier versus Jim Miller. Randy Brown versus Bilal Muhammad. Wilson Hayes taking on Olka Sasaki. Uh, Nick Lentz versus Islam Makachev. Ian McCall versus Jared Brooks. Ryan LaFlair versus Juan Carnero. Felipe Nover taking on Rick Glenn. I am very excited to see that. Real quickly, there might be a Marchantai Bora fight. Let me just make sure about this very, very quickly. And just to verify that's the case, uh, Marchin Tybora is taken on Okasasaki. Lance versus Makachev. McCall versus Brooks. Yes, I believe this is Luis Henrique KLB taken on Marchin Uh Okay, so there you go. Appreciate everyone uh, watching today. Give it a thumbs up, share it around, always appreciate it when you do. Uh, email me at luke.thomas at SBNation.com. follow me on Twitter at SBNation, excuse me, at SBN Luke Thomas. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the fights.